Well, thank you so much for having me. It is wonderful to be here, um, seeing a few familiar faces and some old familiar faces. So uh, it's great to be among you. I love speaking about work. I've called this sermon, I work in a dot, 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 and you'll see, hopefully that'll make sense very shortly. Uh, but it is a privilege to be with you and to be talking about this topic this morning. So thank you for the invitation. Uh, I love personality tests. That probably says something about my personality right there. But I love them. I've, you know, the Myers-Briggs, the Working Genius, Strength Finders, uh, Belbin, even Jordan Peterson has got a personality test and I've even paid money to do it. It's... Um, Every test I, I do gives me a little bit more clarity on myself. Maybe that says I'm still trying to work out who I am. Um, but what I really love it is when I get people that I know well, either my family, my friends, or those that I work with, when they do them as well, and it really is quite eye-opening. If you've ever had this experience where uh, your results come back, their results come back, and you go, oh, I didn't realise that you think so differently to me. Mine always reveals that I love the first part of the work process, you know, the, the thinking and the dreaming and scheming part, and I'm not so good at the, the end part of the work process, like caring whether the work actually gets done. Once we've kind of made a decision, I'm ready to go on and think about the next thing and let someone else worry about the details. Um, I'm very open to change. If we do something once and I don't think it was, was where it needs to be, I'm like, let's try something else. I realise that many people find that absolutely infuriating and they say, no, let's just do it again and see if we can make it a little bit better next time. Uh, what, I, what I want to do for you today is a little bit like that experience where you get a new perspective, your eyes are open to new ways of thinking to do with the topic of work. Now, when we talk about work, it's helpful to kind of just make sure that we're talking about the same thing. I'm, I am talking about work that is both paid and unpaid. Uh, it could be the work that you're currently doing. It could, you might, as I speak, want to kind of reflect on the work that you, that you did do, or maybe you're at a stage where you're thinking about work that you might be moving on to. Whatever it is, it's kind of, it's that thing that we do where expending energy uh, to a certain end that you might get paid for or you might not get paid for. Now, um, how do most people typically think about their work? I want to give you three unhelpful perspectives before I give you three biblical perspectives on work. The first unhelpful perspective is kind of summarised by this book that I found in my local library. I call it the Snow White view of work. And the reason is because, you know, in Snow White, there's that song, uh, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And then some people kind of thought that it'd be funny to kind of change the words to hi-ho, hi-ho, um, oh, sorry, I-O, I-O, it's off to work I go. And that's the subtitle of this book, Grumpy Old Workers, um, I-O, I-O, it's off to work I go. It, this view of work, the Snow White view of work, implies that the primary reason that we go to work is just to pay the bills. That you're treading water until retirement, at which point you get your life back. I refuse to believe that God has created a world where real living starts in your 60s or 70s. I just don't think that God has made the world that way. So scrap the idea, the I owe, I owe, it's off to work, I go, as the way you think about work. There has to be more to it than that. The second unhelpful view 
of work I call uh, the racetrack view. Think about a race like that, uh, Formula One sort of thing, where you, you go around and around, it's very fast paced, very busy, but in the end you get nowhere. <laughs> you, you just end up where you started, exactly the same place. It's this view of work that work is tiring, it's busy, but it's kind of ultimately pointless. Once again, I, I don't think that's the way that we should be thinking about our work. There has to be more to it than just work is that thing that makes you tired and busy for most of your life. There has to be more. The, the final one, this is the one that I have fallen into too many times uh, before I repented of this view, was that you kind of treat work like a crime scene. You know how with a crime scene you get the tape and you tape, you know, the police tape it off so that you, you can't get, get into it? I think a lot of Christians, and I, I thought about this uh, for far too long as well, was that work is that part of life that you want to seal off and treat as separate to real life. You know, your real life is home, your real life is church, your real life is family and friends or whatever, and you seal work off as this kind of this thing that you're not really interested in and God is not really interested in. Like, imagine if uh, you were here at, here at church and someone said, oh, you know, how was work this week? And you said, and to my shame, I have said, oh, let's not talk about work. <laughs> let's, let's seal it off. It's a crime scene. Can't go there because there's more important things to talk about. We're here at church. Let's, let's talk about the Bible. Let's, let's talk about Romans or, you know, something that... And what I think is smuggled into that view of work is this false view that God is not interested in what you're, you're doing in that place. And that, that what happens in church and what happens as you read the Bible or what happens as you, as you read through the majesty of a book like Romans has nothing to say about what you do for 40, 50, 60 hours of your week. I think that's a, that's a profoundly unhelpful view that I have repented of and encourage you to, to repent of too if that is your, your view of work, if you've sealed it off as something that God and others should not really be interested in. It's just work. With those three negative views, the Snow White view, I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go, and the racetrack view, tiring, busy, but ultimately pointless and getting nowhere, and the crime scene view, cancel those and let's, let's think about three biblical perspectives of, on work. Now, these three images that I'm about to give you aren't typically applied to work. They're, they're thoroughly biblical images, but what I want you to do is invite you into a new way of thinking about your work by applying these images to your work. And the first image is that of a refinery. Now, uh, there may well be some engineers here who know exactly how a refinery work, works. That's not me. But I know enough. I know that what happens in a refinery is that you take raw material, something that's not particularly useful in its current state, and you subject it to a number of processes, often involving a lot of heat, and then what you do is you, you refine it, as the name suggests, to make it, make it something that is precious, something that's, that's now usable, that people can use in various applications. And that is really what all those pipes and, and towers and things in a refinery is really just a complex way of taking a raw thing, putting it through processes, and making it purified, usable. I want you to think, when you step into your workplace, when, when, when you work, God is refining me. I am the raw product that is being subjected to lots of 
lots of processes, complex, uh, different, but God is purifying me through my work, through what happens to me at work. And so I'd love you to, you to say, if someone says, where do you work? You say, I work in a refinery. Yeah, you might not literally work in a refinery, but you are being refined there. That is the image I want you to see. I found this great quote from uh, the late Eugene Peterson that says, I'm prepared to contend that the primary location for spiritual formation is in the workplace. That's a pretty bold thing to say, isn't it? Now we could argue whether, you know, you, are, you, are you more formed in your spiritual life through the family, you know, marriage and kids and those sorts of things? It, yes, that definitely does form you as a person. Um, but I think often most Christians don't think that work is a place where they're being formed, they're being grown, they're being refined. But the, if you have this view, it, it just revolutionises your view of work. Um, and so my job brings me into contact with workers of all different kind of stripes and different stages, and I love speaking with them about their work, and I love listening and asking, asking questions, and the, the variety and the complexity of what goes on at work is, is staggering. There are, there are ethical considerations, there are relational considerations, conflict, uh, bad bosses, there are attractions at work, there is what to do with your ambition, how ambitious should you be as, as a Christian, not, not ambitious enough perhaps, uh, and on and on and on, pressure, deadlines, budgets, how do you handle it all? It is a refinery. <laughs> the question is, is, do you know that you're being refined and are you, are you noticing what's going on there? Uh, the, the reading we had from, from the book of James, uh, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. I would include workplace trials in that mix. For you know that the testing of your faith in that place produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, there is this biblical theme that the, that the trials of life are the thing that matures you. I remember being at a conference once and uh, uh, an older Christian friend and I were, were paired up and we were being asked to think about the things that, f that have formed us most as a Christian and I kind of rattled off the usual things, you know, reading my Bible and saying my prayers and going to church. And I asked this, this older gentleman, I said, yeah, what has formed, formed you the most? And it's quick as a flash. He said, suffering. I'm like, ah, there, there's someone who's lived a bit longer than I have. Suffering, trials, hardship are the things that, that grow you. I mean, I could, I could uh, show you from, from 1 Peter as well um, in chapter 1, 6 and 7. Uh, in this you rejoice, that is your salvation, greatly rejoicing at your salvation, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's this idea that the trials are the thing that, that purifies and refines us. 
it's hard to learn this. I, I, I work in a Christian organisation. There's about 40 staff across the country, and when things go wrong, when there's conflict, when there's things that I'm, I'm trying to solve, I often think my first reaction is, oh, God, why this? Why me? Why now? Rather than, oh, here's an opportunity for me to be refined. <laughs> I teach this stuff, and I forget it all the time. So can I urge you, encourage you, in workplace and in all of life, when, when the trials come, when it's hard, when the deadline is on, when there's conflict at work, think, how, how is God refining me here? How is God showing me something of my character that's, that's deficient? Why am I reacting the way that I do? Would you, would you grow me through this? Would you help me to be, be that salt and light in, that, in this situation? that we might be growing and maturing, becoming more like Christ through these trials, through these hardships. And so that's the first image. When you think about your work, think, I work in a refinery and I'm the raw product being refined. The, the second image is that, well, before I show you the image, I want to ask you a question. Where do you think God is praised? I think most people would answer something like this. This is the place God is praised, or perhaps if you're not into old buildings, modern experience, you, you, or perhaps you might even think, it's here. Uh, I just raided, raided your website. Where is, where is God praised? So the, the concept of a cathedral or a more modern kind of uh, worship sanctuary uh, for a church is that people think that that um, these are the holy places. These are the places that are set apart. I mean, the whole architecture of a cathedral is to, is to make you kind of picture the transcendent, you know, the, the high ceilings, the beautiful artwork. It's all kind of drawing your gaze up to, to God and for him to be praised. Now, don't get me wrong. God is praised in these places. God is praised here. We've been doing it this morning. But I want, I want to show you uh, from from the Bible, that that is deficient if that's, that's all you think about as the place where God is praised. And I want, to, want you to think that God is praised in and through your work. So another way to answer the question, uh, where do you work? I work in a cathedral. I, I work in a sanctuary. I work in a place where God is getting praised through the work that I am doing. So let me show you uh, from the Bible. We had it in our, in our Matthew reading, um, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says to, to those gathered around him, you are the light of the world. I mean, imagine Jesus kind of declaring that over you. You are the light of the world. And a little bit later on it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Your good works, your good deeds, of which I believe that your, your daily work is a subset of those good deeds, those good work that God has prepared for you to do. Good works is not just helping a little old lady over the road or cooking a meal. Good works is what you do with your life, of which your daily work is, is a big part of. In that, in that Matthew 5 reference, there is no, there is no, kind of, there is no reference to location, you're the light of the world, 
uh, let your light shine before others, that they may see you singing in church. There, there is no reference to, to location. It's, the reference is to the good things that you do, the good works that you are doing. Uh, one more quick one to show you that I'm not kind of making this up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. Where do you think we spend most of our time with kind of the, the conduct among the nations? A fair bit of that time is at work. Keep your conduct amongst the nations honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which sometimes they do, they may see your good deeds, your good work, same word, and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, we don't have time to kind of unpack exactly how we think uh, that praise to God from outsiders and the nations might come through our, through our daily work. But the point is clear. God expects that our good work is an arena where God is praised, through which God is praised. Uh, a, a little way to kind of think how that works is that um, Martin Luther has this great quote. Um, we, we pray at night for our daily bread. We're, we're, we're asking God to provide for our needs and how does God achieve that? He has a baker get up early in the morning and bake our bread. The, break, the baker's good works is a way that God works in the world through which we can then give praise to God for the provision that he's given us. Do you see, see how that works? Someone's daily work is providing for people and is a source for praise to God. If you have a, a, a wonderful uh, school teacher for your children... I hope that particularly as, as a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, you can thank, thank them and a Christian can thank God for that wonderful school teacher. Their daily work is an arena of praise. Now, we don't often stop to think about those that have built our buildings or have designed the bridge, but we should be thankful for them. A, a well-designed building, a building that stays up, that keeps the rain and the sun off, a bridge that connects communities, that allows traffic to flow well. That is an arena of praise to God for the way that he has built this, this wonderful world. A doctor caring for your needs, a nurse caring for your needs, their work should be an arena of praise to God. And so when you step into your workplace, think, I am in a holy place here. God can be praised through my daily efforts even if people who aren't Christians aren't giving thanks to God for it. God can still be praised uh, and should be praised for the way that he works through people's work. I work in a refinery. I work in a cathedral of, of praise to God. And the final image I want to give you is that of a farm. If someone says, where do you work? I'd like you to think about, I work on a farm at harvest time, where the harvest is ready. Uh, this is our Matthew 9 reading uh, that speaks about when Jesus uh, saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. At this stage in Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, Jesus is in full swing. Uh, we just told in the verse before uh, that he's been busy teaching and, and, and healing, going through all the villages, all, all the people's places. 
And he kind of, we're given this kind of zoom out moment where Matthew says, and so Jesus stopped and he looked out at the crowds. I don't know what you see when you see the crowds. Uh, do you see, see people going about their business? Um, we see a crowd, a big crowd in a sporting stadium or in the CBD, just people, you know, well-dressed, well people heading off to a, to a work meeting, uh, busy going about their day. Jesus didn't see that that day. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. It is that word of deep emotional anguish for people's condition. He saw them at as they really are. And I think we're, we're invited to, to see as Jesus saw, to have that compassion welling up within us for people. What he saw that day, we're told, is that they were sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and they were helpless. Uh, the idea is that of, be, of people who are worn out, they're weary, they're, it's kind of like they're, they're being bullied, they're harassed. If you've ever uh, been bullied yourself, uh, as a child or in the workplace, or if you have children who have been bullied, you know just how utterly awful it is to be harassed by people, to be helpless, to not be able to do anything about it. And that's how Jesus sees people. I have learnt from my dealings with people, uh, I was a pastor for 10 years before doing the City Bible Forum ministry, that there is always more going on under the surface than people let you in on. Always. When you have a conversation with someone and they open up a little bit, I've learned to know that they've opened up this much and there's still this much to go. We are complex people. The people that we work with are complex people. And I invite us, when we step in our workplaces, to see it as, as this, this harvest of ripe fruit that is ready to be picked. Because that's what Jesus goes on. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and he said to his disciples to, to pray that the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Uh, I, was, I was shocked um, during, during COVID just a few years ago when uh, you know, the strawberries and all sorts of other fruit was, was ready, ripe, was there. I often um, drive up to, to Bundaberg where my wife's family lives and go through the Sunshine Coast and all the strawberry fields and there's heaps of them up, up in Bundaberg. And to think that all these beautiful strawberries are just about to rot because there's not enough workers, <laughs> it kind of breaks your heart. There's not enough people to bring, bring the fruit in. And Jesus says that to the disciples that day, that the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. There's not enough people to go out and bring it in. Now, he's not talking about a, an actual harvest. He's talking about people who need to hear about Jesus. Now, what I'm about to say is probably the most con, uh, confrontational uh, thing that I'll say all morning but I'm emboldened to say it because I believe it's what Jesus is saying in that Matthew chapter 9 passage, that the bottleneck is not so much out there in the harvest with people who, who need to hear and who might be open to a conversation. The bottleneck with our mission is actually in here. And it's not just you guys I'm picking on. <laughs> it, I think Jesus knew from the very beginning that all through church history, the bottleneck was always going to be with his people, not so much the need out there. The need is strong. There are people that are, that are willing to, to speak. Not everyone, sure, yes, I know. You might have you know, invited people and, and they're not, not interested to hear about Jesus. 
But I think far too often it's, it's, uh, it's our fear that gets in the way. The harvest is plentiful, but the problem is that the labourers are, are few. There's not enough labourers in, in, in this harvest work. Um, so, when we think about the place that you used to work, or that you are working, or that you're hoping that you will work in one day, uh, whether it's paid or unpaid work, I invite you to forget about work just as a place, a thing that you do because you owe money and you have to get money. I invite you to forget about the fact that it's just a racetrack that feels like you're going around, speeding around, it's tiring and, and busy. Forget about thinking of work as a crime scene that you've, you've sealed off from God or from others. But instead, think of work as a place of refining. I work in a refinery. Think of work as a place where the, what you're doing is bringing praise and glory to God. You work in a, in a place of, uh, of a sanctuary, a holy place, a church. Or, and finally, you work in a great harvest. You work on a farm and there are, there's fruit to, to bring in. And what Jesus does at the end, which is what I'm going to do now as I close, is, is to pray, as Jesus urged his disciples to fundamentally ask God to be the one who will do the work. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we do ask uh, you as the Lord of the harvest that you would be raising up more workers uh, from among us, uh, that we would see the opportunities in front of us to, to speak of Christ. We know it's hard, but we pray that you would help us. Uh, I pray that you would be working here in this church uh, as, as this church seeks to be light to this community uh, around them. Pray too that you would really be growing us as, as followers of you through the trials that we experience at work, that these hard things that happen at work would truly grow us to be more like Christ as we see you working in us through them and inviting change and correction. And Father, help us to see all the good that we can do at work, good for others, good for our society and good for the world. And we pray that more and more people might see that you are at work uh, through all the work that goes on, bringing a society uh, where people are thankful for the way that you provide care and love us through the daily work of so many. Uh, change us, give us these new perspectives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.